just feel the weight of his presence this morning. And the anointing is all about his presence. It's the anointing that breaks the yokes. So good morning to everyone. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Willie. Married to my beautiful wife Angie. We have three kids. <laughs> Due to be grandparents soon at the end of this year. So uh, I've got a message this morning that the Lord has laid on my heart. And it's concerning the Father's heart for freedom of our past. And often I want to start this word by making the following statement. You can't get closer to God than what your concept of God will allow you. <laughs> so here's the thing. Um, often... I'm going to look at the first scripture. Genesis 1 verse 27. If you can put that up. Thanks, Cleon. So you can't get closer to God when your concept of, of God will allow you. If you grew up or if you think that God doesn't love you, you're not going to, to move toward God. If you think God is angry with you, if you think God wants to punish you, he's impatient, he's just distant and absent, um, you won't move closer to someone that you don't trust. You won't move closer to someone that you think might, doesn't care. So often, we have, I'll make the statement, we have a perfect, loving, heavenly father perfect in all his ways. We sang that song this morning. But often we naturally gather our concept of God from our parents. And here's the reason. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish. I'm just going to stop there. So God commanded us to have children. So as children, parents are the first, parents aren't God, but parents is the image of God. And that's the first image of God that children will experience when looking at their parents. So the thing is, as we grow up, parents are providers, they protect us, they care for us, they nurture us, they comfort us, they build us up. So the number, role of, the number one role of any parent is to bear the image of God to their children properly. So children base their concept of God off their parents. So everything your parents did well, you naturally it's easy for you to believe about God. And everything that your parents did bad, it's easy for you to believe that about God as well. So here's the issue then. Looking back when you grew up, were your parents gracious or legalistic? Were they fair or unfair? Were they caring or distant? Faithful or undependable? Were they generous? or selfish? 
Were your parents affectionate or unaffectionate, truthful or dishonest? Were they proud or humble, even moral or corrupt? So both our parents are important, but there's a direct connection between our parents, there's a di direct connection between our fathers and our heavenly father. So we call our earthly father, father, and we call our heavenly father, father. So he's the most loving, generous, present, kind, caring God, and he's your daddy. So you can't get closer to God than your concept of God will allow. So that brings us to the following thing. You can't get free until you get to God. Even in counseling, I can't get you free unless I can get you to God. True freedom is relating with your heavenly father as your daddy. Exodus 34 verse 67. The Bible gives us often a profound words that scripture will use to describe the human condition. The Lord passed before him, that's Moses on the Mount Sinai. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping the steadfast love for thousands, forgiving in equity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. If we look at those words that's been used in that scripture, we have the word sin. So sin is basically the meaning, Hebrew meaning of sin is to miss the target. That's moral failure is to miss the mark. So you get this picture of a, of a guy shooting with an arrow and totally missing the target. Then we have a word transgression. Transgression is as we relate with one another and we break trust. Unfaithfulness, there's a break in trust in our relationship. And then we have a word iniquity. It's something that we don't even use in the modern English language anymore. Iniquity. What's the meaning? So if the word iniquity is translated from the Hebrew word avon. And avon is related to the Hebrew verb avar, which literally means to be bent or to be crooked. So you have this picture in the Bible that a road that is bent is avon, it's the road is avat, that's the verb. And what does it mean when God visits the iniquity up until the third and fourth generation? You know, I grew up in a traditional church and often in starting the service, the Ten Commandments was read. And I heard this message that God visits the iniquity up until the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. <laughs> And I thought, what does this mean? Do I need to repent for sins of my dad or even his, his dad or the great-grandfathers? To be bent or to be crooked. 
I want to look at Isaiah 59 verse 12. For the transgressions, for our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. You can put up verse 14. What Isaiah is doing here is mourning the leaders of Israel, ignoring injustice being, doing, being done to the poor. And he says, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off for truth has stumbled in the public square and uprightness cannot enter. So what he's saying is there's so much avar in the nation and amongst the people that crooked has become the new straight. Crooked has become the new straight so that um, the avon or crookedness due to that the uprightness cannot enter. So when we grow up and you're around something all the time, you develop, you develop a tendency towards that. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 says the following. Paul makes the statement, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So if you look at the scenario where you grew up, pride, abuse, and you will think that people that has been abused will be the least people to, to abuse others. I think maybe nine or eight or nine out of ten people that I've ministered to that have been abused as children has a tendency to abuse as well. People that has fallen into homosexual relationships has been abused as children. When you get people filled with pride, you can often look at the dad. He was a prideful man, hard to repent, stubbornness, racism, divorce, gossip, immorality, dishonesty, rebelliousness, and stubbornness. So as individuals, we develop a tendency towards a specific sin. Bad company corrupts good morals. So you develop a tendency towards that exact same thing. So it becomes a bent in your character, you are, you are crooked, you become, as the father's dead, as the granddad was a dad that abused alcohol, the dad started to drink, and you see the grandchildren, they start to drink as well, substance abuse, divorce, sometimes it's like a curse through a family, you can see the sins of our ancestors flowing over, rolling over onto the children. The thing is, this crookedness, as we become father-like, as we do as our parents, as we do as we, as we look at our behavior of our parents, we can say that we didn't grow up right. We didn't grow up righteous. And that brings a weight in our lives. I love what the writer of Psalms says in Psalms 38, verse 46. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me to carry. It's like the writer is saying, the crooked nature of my decisions has become heavy. I'm bowed down, it's causing a weight. And this weight is so heavy that my wounds stink and my fester because of my foolishness. So he's confessing this Crookedness is such a weight on him. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate, meaning he's flat on the ground. All the day, 
I go about mourning. So many of us can just relate with these scenarios in growing up in families. It's kind of you, if you look at your father, you didn't like what he did, or you look at your mom and you didn't like the way she acted. But to a certain extent, if you do, if you search your heart, you've come to a place where you actually your conduct is very often similar and you acted as they acted. So in my family, we had an inequity <laughs> towards unresolved anger. So I had a good, my dad is still alive. He's a, he was a good, hardworking man, honest, taught me to work hard and to be honest. But no lies permitted. So to a certain extent, he had a lot of, he was very legalistic. He taught me the law, what was right and wrong, but with very little grace. So that led me to be honest in my ways, but you develop a nature that if someone lies to you, that's like an unforgivable sin. You close your heart. What's the outcome in that in ministry? If you, caught, if you catch someone lying to you, you can very much close your heart and keep someone in a distance. So often I would hear people say, you know, my dad taught me this. And I live by these two, three, four, five laws. You know, be honest, do this, do this. And I hear the legalistic approach that there's lots of law, but very little grace. And Jesus said that Moses came with a law in truth. And the law is truth, but we can't just have truth alone. We need the grace of the Father as well. We need the forgiveness. So... And to a certain extent, as a young child, I became rebellious towards my father. And I didn't have a healthy example of how to deal with anger. So that manifested in, if I ran across a situation where there's unresolved conflict in becoming quiet. But in the middle of still stay You become quiet, which is a form of control. You're not acting the way I want you to act, so I'm, be, I'm becoming quiet now. I'm not going to speak to you. That becomes manipulation, that becomes control. So if you don't act the way I like, I'm going to treat you and I'm going to punish you with silence. That's the example I had. But can we continue to blame our parents? How do we get rid of inequities? You take responsibility for your own heart. Psalm 32 verse 5. David was called a man after God's heart. He said the following. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover. Some translations I believe says I did not hide. I did not hide or I did not cover my inequity. My own bentness. My own crookedness. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So we have to forgive our parents. If you're coming out of a broken relationship, you have to forgive. 
Jesus taught that parable. He said that the unforgiving servant that refused to forgive after he was forgiven of so much, God has given him, God will give you over to the tormentors. So God gives us the dignity to carry the weight of our crookedness. He gives us the dignity of sitting in the consequences of our crooked, bad decisions. Because that's the situation that he will often use to bring us at the end of ourselves, as to allow us to sit in the crookedness of our bad decisions. So the Bible speaks of we bear, we carry this, this burden, this weight of our crooked decisions. We carry that weight with us. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus made a promise. God made, God made a promise that he will send a servant. <clears throat> and eventually that servant will bear the iniquities, the weight and the crookedness of our sins. It's in Isaiah 53 verse 6. All like sheep we have gone astray. So clear you got it. Isaiah 53 verse 6 if you can load it quickly. Or it's along. All like sheep we have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. So we forgive our parents as God has forgiven us. The second thing is you submit that area to Jesus. And Jesus said he wants to be king. It's not just a commitment. He wants us a heart, as Emily said, a heart that we present to him that is surrendered. Every single area of your life. And often we just make a commitment. You, you can give your life to Jesus and it's like someone, Jesus says, I'm knocking on the door. And if you enter, I will open that door and we will have a meal, a fellowship together. It refers to fellowship. It refers to intimacy. But often we say, Lord Jesus, come in, sit in the lounge. Everything is neat and tidy here. But he has to take ownership of a whole house. There's, there's a dining room, there's bedrooms, there's um, a bathroom. And if Jesus doesn't go in to disinfect, it's going to remain septic. So it's about surrendering, surrendering every single area of your life to him. And Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide us. In all truth, and it's the truth that we know that will set you free. Listen, if you don't deal with your heart, the enemy will. And so often if we don't deal with his iniquities, if we don't forgive our fathers, if we don't forgive our parents, we make inner vows. And the inner vows that we make will be some of the following. I'm never going to go to church again. I got hurt in church. Someone in church did this, or I'm never going to go to church again. I'm never going to be poor again. I'm never going to spank my kids or let them work. No one will ever hurt me again. I'm going to keep everyone on a distance. Or even with broken relationships that no man or no woman or ever treat me like that again. I'm never going to allow someone 
too close to me again. So an inner vow is a self-directed promise in response to pain or hurt. It's a self-directed promise in response to pain and hurt. So we don't do inner vows because we are evil. We do inner vows because we hurt. So what's the problem? Matthew 5, verse 33 to 37. Again, I've heard it. It was said to those of old. You do not, do not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of a great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What Jesus is saying here, If you make an inner vow as well, that area of your life, Jesus does not have kingship. If you, go, if you went through a broken relationship and you make that vow, no one is ever going to hurt me again. Jesus isn't Lord of your relationships. If you, um, you're becoming your own God in that area of your life, and you might be intelligent, you might be successful, but in that area of your life, you become a little bit crazy, you become unteachable, because inner vows makes us unteachable. And it makes us unapproachable. No one can talk to you, no one can appeal to you in that area. I will not listen to advice again. So iniquity, iniquity means I'm going to follow in the footsteps of my family. The same crooked way. The way I saw this, I'm going to continue in the same footsteps of my family. And inner vow means I'm going in the opposite direction. They spanked me too hard, I'm, never go I'm going to be permissive. They always faulted me, so I'm going to hold on to my own truth. So you become God in that area of your life. So as we deal with inequities and we give our parents, we have to make a choice also to deal with inner vows. And Proverbs 18 verse 21 says the following, Death and life are in the power of a tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So it's almost like your, your spoken word carries authority in the spiritual realm. And often I've seen the power of this, that you need to break the power of that vow by your spoken word. You need to renounce it. So what renouncing does, it stops the flow of something in your life. If, so if you totally go in the opposite direction, um, let's say you had a very dominant father. If you don't fall into the iniquity and the same bent to go into that same direction, you might, you might become over-gracious and all truths are just, is this your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and you just hold on to what is right for you. 
and it's just the super grace that will lead to death. So we have to break the power of any inner vow. And often, sometimes, even if, if it's restoration with broken relationships, if you go into the next relationship with the same baggage and with the same inner vows, it's, it's going to be like bondage and you're going to put that person on a stage to perform or to dance. And if the dance is not good enough, you'll be angry. <laughs> And we make each other performance-driven because you have you place a false accept uh, like a false expectancy on on people. If you've been rejected, I think with a very legalistic father, I think rejection bid much bad fruit in my life. It manifested in perfectionism, and God had to. <laughs> Tell me one day that your perfectionism is the root of rejection. Sometimes you find a false identity in the way that everything is neat and tidy. Everything is perfect. You have this control over this situation. Everything is in order. And it's a performance motivation thing. It's a performance motivation thing. And how do you get rid of it? You know, you forgive your father. Because you can't grow closer to God than your concept of God will allow. And after that concept is broken, and it became crooked, and it brings a weight that you're not designed to carry. Listen, failure, if you failed and you said, I'll never do this again, failure is an event, it's not a person. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. Failure is not a person and it's an event. If you've gone through poverty, I know we went through a stage, my wife and I as a family, and it went wrong with a specific business deal. I'm just sharing this as a testimony. And I, I had enough truth at that stage in my life to forgive. And I went before the Lord and I said, Lord, I know... I have this thing in my heart. I'm becoming anxious. I, don't, I think there might be lack in my family now due to this thing. And I had enough truth in my life to make a choice to forgive a person. And I came before the Lord and I said, Lord, I choose today to forgive so and so. And before I could finish my prayer, the Lord asked me, who is your provider? Who is your provider? And it sh he showed me that picture of Abraham and his um, cousin Lot, God commanded Abraham to leave a place of prosperity and go into the desert and live in a tent. And at a certain stage, he was partially obedient, so he took his nephew Lot with. But the hand of God was supernaturally on Abraham in his provision. His livestock multiplied to such an extent that Lot and um, the laborers of Lot and Abraham started quarreling. There's enough, not enough grass, you know, it's too much livestock. And when they reach this place on a mountain where God showed on this side is lush green, on this side is lush green fields, as Abraham saw it, and this side was a desert. And he offered Lot a decision, you can choose and I'll go into the opposite direction. And Lot chose the lush green fields and Abraham went into the desert with his livestock and God's hand was still supernaturally on Abraham in his provision. 
And even if you read further on in Genesis, you reach a point where you see that this um, Lot was taken captive by this evil king. And Abraham had to train his, his uh, 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 slaves as soldiers to go and fight the battle to set Lot free. And then <laughs> afterwards, the king came to Abraham, offering him the, boil, the, the spoil, the booty of the war. And Abraham said the following, No man will say he made Abraham rich, not even a shoelace. I will take nothing, zero. You don't give me anything because no man will say I made Abram rich. So God, Abraham had this thing that of faith in his heart that he knew God as his provider. <laughs> he knew God even as, as his provider. So if you don't renounce that inner vow, when, when you go through situations, if you don't choose to forgive, there's no freedom. And in that prayer, as I repented, as I made a choice to forgive a specific person, God entered my prayer and said, who is your source? And that led to repentance. I said, Lord, I, can, I acknowledge, I took my eyes off you. And as I took my eyes off you, I became anxious. I, think, I thought that my family, there might be need now in my family due to the fact that this business deal went wrong. And God showed me, you took your eyes off me and thence, hence, <laughs> you became anxious. So the, wo the word of God is like a double-edged sword. And it brings the vision between bone and marrow and spirit and soul. So if I bring truth this morning, you know, I can come across with in a legalistic way. Because the sword is a sharp instrument. You know, if I approach you with a sword, <laughs> that thing is sharp. It's like a doctor coming with a syringe to inject you. You know, I want to help you, but you're seeing, hey, <laughs> this guy's going to hurt me. There's fear. So I always ask the Lord to help me to bring truth in love. So I want to see, I want you this morning to close your eyes. And look past me as a person and fix your eyes on the Father. Maybe as I spoke this morning, you, it took you back a long way in a situation where you grew up. And if you look at the crookedness that are born in your family, you actually realize that to a certain extent, I'm actually, I actually became the same person as my father. I became the same person as my, my mother. Maybe it was a broken relationship, disappointment. There was maybe a transgression. I think father's heart this morning is that you lay down the hindrance, the weight of your own and take responsibility for your own heart. Bring it, just bring it before the Lord. Say, Father, like David said, I will not hide my own iniquity. I did not have the right to say that. I did not have the right. You now we honor our parents not because they're always honorable in their conduct. 
we honor them because it's a biblical command. Jesus taught us, as we receive freely from the Father, we can freely extend that same grace and same forgiveness to anyone that has hurt us. So the only key that God gives us for the past is to lay it down, to not to be stingy with his grace, but to extend that grace that we so freely received. Maybe out of a situation that you were hurt or disappointed, you made an inner vow, and whatever that vow might be, Lord, I'll never do this again. I'll never allow this again. And you became God in that area of your life. I want you this morning to hear the heartbeat of a father that is eager to set you free, that is eager to empower you, that his grace will take you into the more. I want you to do a bold thing this morning. If you realize any inequity that you have become crooked in your ways, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up. If there's something that you need to lay down, this is not condemnation, it's conviction. So when the spirit of, with the Spirit of the Lord, as we sang that song this morning, there's freedom, there's freedom for us to respond on a message this morning so that the grace of God can come and cover a multitude of sins. If there's any inner vow this morning that someone has made, I want you to stand up this morning and say, Lord, I acknowledge that inner vow. And I want to choose this morning to renounce it. To stop the negative flow of that thing in my life. Sometimes it's like a, it's like a drunk man getting on a horse. You know, you jump on, on the horse and you fall off on the ditch on that side. If you, you jump on this from that side and you, get on and you fall off and you slip off on the other side. You try to go in the opposite direction into an extreme and the flow of that need to stop today. So I want us to participate as a body this morning. And I'm going to ask the people that's sitting around those people receiving this message this morning to just surround them and come lay, come lay hands on them. So the Bible says that we are body and these various gifts and the hand cannot say, I have no need of the eye. <laughs> Likewise, the, the, hand cannot, the eye cannot say, I don't need the hands. We need each other.